This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. I'm your host, Amber Cullum. This week, I sit down with Marcy Gregg to discuss the story behind her memoir, Blank Canvas. When I read the tagline, the amazing story of a woman who awoke from a coma to a life she couldn't remember, I was compelled to read her book. Upon completion, I was compelled to invite Marcy on the show. I wanted her to share the radical way God's grace crashed into her world after years of pretending to remember and using alcohol to cope. She also shares how oil painting connects her to God. Listen to what Marcy has to say about that. My perspective changed when I was in the studio. When I'm painting, I see God differently. I see Him as the master artist. If if you walked in my studio today, you would see a painting that I was working on this morning and it's not finished. And so right now it looks pretty chaotic. My paintings have multiple layers of paint, one layer after another layer after another layer. And every layer is necessary for the next layer to make the painting what it's gonna be. And if I think about it, That is how God is. Our lives are like the canvas, and God is the master artist, and every layer matters. Nothing is wasted, and He uses them all to make us like Jesus. And so when I think about what I'm going through with my rheumatoid arthritis or what I went through with losing my memories or what people are going through out there, what I want to say is no matter where you are, whatever layer you're in, if it looks bad, it doesn't mean He's finished. Amen. He is not finished. After enjoying today's episode, will you do me a favor? Click the share button in whatever app you're using to listen. Sharing today's episode with a friend or on social media is the best compliment you can give a podcast, and it helps people discover grace enough for the first time. Thanks so much. I truly appreciate every time you listen and every time you share. Good afternoon, Marcy, and welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. Thank you for having me. It's so nice to be here. Oh, it's going to be great because um, I've introduced your book already to our listeners, but um, it is a book that I really love. But the great thing about it is it's your personal story. And so we're going to dive into that a little bit today. And typically what I do is say, share a little bit of your faith journey with us. But that really is what your entire story is about. So maybe take us back and tell me, like, when did you just first come to know Christ? I was a young girl. I was about nine years old. And we were at a family camp, a Christian family camp as a, with our family. Oh, that's fun. And it was so much fun. Yeah. And I heard Luis Palau speak. And he told me, it spoke to me that Jesus came for my sins, that God sent his son for me so that I could have a relationship with God. And it it clicked. I heard it and I understood it for the first time. And I accepted Jesus as my personal savior that night. 
And so, well, tell haste. me though, with where, where did you live at that time? Cause if it was Louise Palau, I'm thinking out West, right? Well, no, he came to East Texas. I lived in Jasper, okay. Texas, and he came to a little family camp, a little Christian camp in Tyler, Texas. Oh yeah. Camp Pine Cove. Yeah. And I went there to Pine Cove with my family and he came and spoke. And I had the privilege of spending a weekend with Luis Palau. It was amazing. Yeah. Well, and I mean, Pine Cove is still such a wonderful camp um, that, I mean, I know thousands of youth go to. So that's really, really cool that the legacy there Mm -hmm. has continued as well. Well, part of your story and the part that we're mostly going to talk about is really from age 30 and on. And so at age 30, you go in to deliver your third child And something takes place that radically changed your life. Tell us a little bit about that story um, to kind of lay the foundation for what came after. It was March 1990, and I went to the hospital to have our third baby. And we had two little boys and a little girl was born, Mm. and we were so excited. Our family was complete. Yeah. Everything was great. But 36 hours after she was born, I got very sick in the middle of the night. And the nurses found me in the hospital room and I was literally standing up in the bed screaming. My head was hurting and I had a real high fever. So they took me down and began to work on me to try to figure out what was going on. And that doctor said, call her husband. So they called Deb to come up to the hospital. And before he even got there, I had already slipped into a coma. And I was very, very ill. And it was later determined that I had contracted pneumococcal bacterial spinal meningitis during the actual delivery of the baby. What happened was I had a sinus infection. And when I was pushing her out, I blew bacteria from my sinuses into my brain. And so this infection in my brain began to fester. And then 36 hours later, it blew into a full-blown infection. So for the next week, they began to work, did everything they could do. They literally hung IV bag after IV bag, tried every medicine they knew. They even drilled a hole into my skull to Mm -hmm. try to relieve the pressure, but nothing was working. And by the end of the week, they literally said to Deb, we need to begin to wait, you know, to look kind of the worst case outcomes are going to be because it doesn't look good. Mm. And as the doctors are leaving the hospital with this bad news across town, our pastor is getting word from the Lord. He literally heard from the Lord to come and pray over me that it was not supposed to be unto death, that I was not going to die. Wow. So our minister comes to the hospital in the middle of the night and he gets there to, and comes into ICU and he stands over my bed and he tells everyone that the room smelled of death because I was in such bad shape. I was on a ventilator and I was really bad. And he began to pray and he prayed Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. He prayed that over me and he believed that I was going to wake up. And outside in the ICU waiting room, there were people praying. And the next morning, just hours after he left, I miraculously woke up. And the doctors even said it was a miracle. They didn't have any reason medically that I woke up. Hmm. So that was the miracle of all miracles. Yes. Yeah. Well, and so how long were you in the coma? I was in a coma for a week. Okay. That's what you said. Okay. And so the doctors couldn't explain it, but when they went in to do the MRI again, did they say like the infection is gone? 
No, I mean, there was still infection, but I was awake. Right. It wasn't I mean, near-death experience anymore. No, the infection was getting better, but it was still, I mean, I was responding. Right. And so um, Praise God. Things, things were changing. At that point, had you started to talk yet? Did you, do you have any memory of what was going on with you once you woke up? Well, I remember waking up and I remember looking around and knowing I was in a hospital. I knew that, but I was very confused because there was a man standing next to me and he bent down to give me a kiss. And I pushed away thinking doctors don't kiss their patients, which in fact, he was my husband. Mm. I thought that the man standing next to me was a doctor, not the man that I had married 10 years before. So I, and I thought that I was 17, not 30. Mm -hmm. I had lost years of my memory, 13 years of my memory. And so you knew that like right away, like pretty much early on, it wasn't like, cause you know, sometimes people will wake up and they aren't sure what's going on, but it could be, you know, medication. It could be all kinds of things. Like well, I was very confused. No, I didn't know all of this initially. I was very confused. I, when I woke up, I just knew I was in a hospital and I knew that the man that was kissing me wasn't yeah. supposed to be kissing me. And then he started talking about being my husband and us having three kids. And I'm thinking, whoa, 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 you've got the wrong, pr- wait a second. And the doctors are saying, you've got three children, you're married and you've got a family. And I remember thinking, y'all got the wrong patient. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and as a physical therapist myself, like I know when I walk into a room, if I'm working in a hospital, I'm going to ask these three questions. What's your name? You know, do you know your day of birth? Do you know what day it is? Right. Um, Because it's so common to kind of watch, like, are they moving out of that confused state? Right. And that's what's so different about your story is that you did not move out of that confused state. I did not move out of the confusion. And they kept telling me I would. The doctor said, your Mm. memories will come back. Everything's going to come back. You're going to get better. It's going to get better. As your brain swelling goes down, you're going to remember what you're not remembering now. Just hang on. Mm. There were two gifts, though, that God gave me. And I really do believe these are gifts of grace that happened in the hospital. Because people say, well, what happened when you saw the children for the first time? And I was out of the ICU. I'd gone to a private room eventually, and they brought the kids to meet me. They came running in the room. The little boys came in with my parents, and they put the newborn baby in my arms. And I did not remember having them. I did not remember anything about the children, Mm. but I knew they were mine. Yeah, isn't that interesting? I I knew. That soul connection. I, I knew they were mine. And I knew so deeply that I wanted to go home and be with these babies. And Mm -hmm. I wanted to go home and be their mom. And as far as my husband, people say, well, how did you go home with a man you didn't remember? Well, I fell head over heels with him for him at SMU years before. And I was crazy about him. I just didn't recognize him in the hospital because he was old. He was right. He was an old man compared to what I knew in college, he wasn't a 19 year old co-ed. He was a 32 year old man. But the more I spent time with him, I found the man that I loved. Mm -hmm. He was there. And so I began to recognize Deb. Yeah. And so I, that was God's gift to me that he was there. And I knew him when I was 17. 
Okay. Because I was going to say, you don't have any memories back to 17, but you had known that him then. I met him at 17. So wow. I knew him. So those were God's two great gifts to me. Knowing that I wanted to get out of the hospital and go home and be with them. Yeah. I longed to get out of the hospital. The problem was they were talking about me going to rehab and I was like mm-hmm. having no part of that. Mm-hmm. I, no way am I going to rehab. So I had to figure out how to not go to rehab. And the only way I could figure out to not go to rehab was to fake being better. If I can fake it, then I can get out of here. And that's the only way I knew to do it. So I would pretend that I remember people that came in to see us by parroting what Deb said. When he would say, hi, Jane, I would say, hi, Jane. And it looked like I remember people. You know, Marcy, I mean, that is some really high cognitive functioning for you to have just been in a coma with a brain infection like weeks before. Well, I was determined to get out of there. I was, that was the strong-willed Marcy. That was the Yeah, um, that was the strong will side of me. Well, and you you did that for how many years was it that you lived people really thinking that you did remember them and that you had these memories, but you had no idea. You just started constructing your life from that point forward. Right. It It went on and on like that. And but it but it took its toll. God is a genius storyteller. And the evidence of this is threaded throughout scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. Yeah, because at some point you did, I mean, all of this hiding, you you ended up using alcohol to really mask the pain, deal with the pain, deal with just the fatigue, the facade of daily trying to act like you were, had all of these memories that you didn't have. Tell us a little bit about that time in your life, because I mean, I know from having spoken with other people and having even alcoholics in my family, that just builds on itself too, because then you're like hiding that. Right. I ended up turning to alcohol and it was, an, it started off very innocently at mm-hmm. first, a glass of wine. I was just a glass of wine to cope. I mean, I, I was trying to cope one night and I had a glass of wine, but what I found was I used it as a coping mechanism. I drank to forget what I couldn't remember. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what I did. Mm-hmm. And I used it as my place to go. It, it was a haven for me. And what started off very innocently at first soon became a problem. And it literally became a place that engulfed me, a place that I had to hide from everyone. No one knew. So now not only was I hiding the fact that I had no memories, I'm hiding that I'm drinking because I was very controlled in my drinking so that no one knew that I was drinking. But that was a terrible secret that I was hiding because no one knew that I was hiding. And and that took a toll in itself. Mm -hmm. 
So how long did that last? That lasted seven years. And so what's going on with your relationship with God, like your family's Mm. involvement in church during this time? Like, how does that dynamic come in? If everybody said, how are you, Marcy? I put up the big facade. I'm doing great. I had to put a smile on my face. I'm fine. When inside, Mm. I was so angry because what had happened was I needed God to heal my memories. And for months when I came home from the hospital, I prayed for God to heal me. I begged him. I begged him to make me whole mentally as he had physically. I Mm -hmm. begged him. I needed him to heal me. And he was so silent. He did not do what I was asking him to do. And I couldn't fix this. Marcy, who had literally put God early on when I accepted Jesus as my savior, I didn't really surrender my life to God. Mm -hmm. I believed that God could run the universe and I would handle my world. And now I needed God to get into my world and do something for me. For the first time, I really couldn't do for me, which I had always been able to get my way out of a situation. This time I couldn't. And I needed him to fix my memories. And I was praying, God, help me. And nothing was happening. And I was angry. And so I, we were, but I kept up the facade that everything was great. We were going to church. No one knew, but I was drinking. But God is so merciful. And he's so good. And he's like, it was like the prodigal son. I felt like he, looking back, I feel like he was standing, waiting with open arms, just watching and waiting for me to come back. Mm. And that was the second miracle is the way I came back to him. Yeah. Which I do want to dive into, but it is, I, I always like to point out in situations like this too, how often we may encounter people who have that facade up, who in their own worlds may be just like spinning out of control, you know? I mean, and sometimes we're very fortunate that God does come crashing into our world and won't let you hide anymore. And when we don't hear that, or we don't see that, we can really, really experience some lifelong destruction, you know? Absolutely. I was on a downward spiral and I am grateful every day Mm. that it only lasted seven years. Yeah. Yes. Because I mean, that's a long time, but it it was a a whole lot longer. It could have been a whole lot longer. So what did happen when God came crashing into your world? It was so cool. Now looking back, it was, it's the coolest thing. You know, the first miracle happened in a hospital room. This one happened in my backyard. Um, Mm. We were watching TV as a family and I'd had nothing to drink because I was a controlled drinker and I did not drink around the children. So we were sitting as a family watching TV and I drew the short straw to walk our big greyhound. We had rescued a greyhound and I had to take him out to go to the bathroom. So I took him outside and I'm coming back up the driveway. He sees a bunny, which greyhounds, when they see a bunny, they're (laughs) going to go. He jerked. And when he bolted, he pulled me down and I fell to the ground. And as I'm getting up, I had a perfect view into our son, the room where we were all sitting and through our French doors, I could see my whole family and where I had been. Mm. And there my husband sat with our daughter in his arms and with the boys all over the furniture. And God spoke to me at that moment. And he said, that is what I saved you for the future, Mm. not the past. And as much as that father loves his children, I love you more. And just as that father's holding his daughter in his arms, I'm holding you and I will never let you fall. 
but you've got to trust me. Mm. And I dropped wizard's leash and I went to the backyard and I fell to my knees. And at that moment, I surrendered for the first time in my life. I truly surrendered my life to God. And I knew that his plan for me without my memories was better than my plan with my memories. And I wanted that Mm -hmm. more. And I chose to trust the God who sent his son to die for me, that love. I chose to trust that. Mm. And that began a different walk. Yeah, because I mean, was that immediate? Like, obviously, God's work in us is immediate. So I don't mean that. But I also know that we we fight our own flesh and return to our sinful patterns so easily. What happened was I gave up alcohol that night. And the very next day, I chose to do a 12-step program. I knew I could not do it on my own. I knew I needed help. Mm -hmm. So I went to a 12-step program. And I have literally been faithful to that for years and years and years. It's it's been 20, it'll be 25 years in December. Oh, that's so awesome. And I mean, that's such a good picture of God's kindness towards us too, because I think sometimes people will fight that and say, oh, well, God didn't really heal you or, oh, you know, God doesn't No, He asked us to trust him. And part of that trust is action action. Absolutely. And I had to do the work because I had worked my way into a deep hole. (laughs) That's right. And it's like, you know, and so now I'm going to trust that God's going to help me work my way out of the deep hole. Out of the deep hole. That's okay. So I do have to ask too, though, at this point, like you've been hiding it from your family. Did you just come clean completely? I did. I came, I I sat down with everybody. I told them the whole story. In fact, I even told, I explained it to one of the kids. They said, well, can you never have a glass of wine again? And I said, here's the deal. I've now become a pickle and I can't Mm -hmm. go back to being a cucumber. Oh yeah. And that was that. And that was that. And that's it for me and alcohol. I'm done. Not saying it's bad for everybody, but for me, but for me, it's bad. Yeah, no, I've had a um, Sherry Hoppin has been on my show and her book is Sober Cycle. And she, I mean, her story is alcoholism and that's exactly pretty much her words as well. Like, nope, I mean, there's no, there's no one for me. No, there's no, no. one and done for me. So, no. so art is such a huge part of your story. It it's is. something you're passionate about now. You have painted and sold paintings and they're in galleries. And oh my goodness, we could go on and on. I love it. How did that become something that God used as a part of your healing journey? Well, about 16 years ago, I had, I woke up and literally had a burning desire to paint. I mean, it was the weirdest thing. And I went to my husband, I said, I want to paint. And he said, well, paint. And I said, (laughs) well, I need to take art lessons. And he said, like you'd never painted before. Well, he said, Marcy, you majored in art at SMU oh, okay. in college. Why, why do you need to take art lessons? And I said, well, I don't remember college. <laughs> and he said, well, if you feel like you need to take lessons, then take lessons. But I think if you started painting, it would mm-hmm. come back to you. And so what ended up happening was I ended up going to this fabulous artist here in Charlotte, and I became his artist in residence. Mm-hmm. And I worked under him. And literally, he just, it literally ignited this passion for me for art. And it just, it was amazing. And I began to paint every day and I ended up getting a studio. And before I knew it, it had, it had taken off. So how old were your kids when you got back into painting? Because there's all kinds, I mean, if you can remember, because there's all kinds of 
when you have little kids, obviously it's harder no. to go. That's right. <laughs> no, my, my boys had already gone off to college okay. and my daughter was a junior in high school. So they were, they were older. You can't, you can't do it when you've got little kids. I don't, I think it'd be so hard. I mean, yeah, I mean, unless it's like your job and yes, like in the sense of that's what you've always done. So, right. Right. No, I think it would be very hard. Um, but I think the way I did it was, I was getting into it and I was really spending time while she was at school, I was painting all day. So it was, it was definitely different. And then when I got a studio and when she graduated, I, I really went professional at that point. So tell us a little bit about how do you feel like art for you has really expanded your view of God and how mm-hmm. do you kind of insert him in what you paint? Well, my paintings are a little different um, than other people. There's something different about them. Underneath every one of my paintings, I paint scripture. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing that I do. So I take scripture from my, my studies in the morning before I leave for the studio. I spend quiet time. I get a scripture. And then when I go into my studio, I will paint a verse across the blank canvas. And that's what begins the scripture. It is the foundation for the piece. And it will be what I titled the piece from. Mm-hmm. So I will take that name will come from that scripture. So those words are staring at me when I begin the, the, the painting itself. That is literally what breathes life into the um, painting. I'm in the studio all day, but early morning, I get there very early. I get there around 7.15, 7.30. I love to be in the studio in the early morning hours. And I put the praise music on and I have those words up on the canvas and they literally, it's a worship time for me. It really is. As I begin to paint, as I begin to put canvas, a paint on that canvas, I really do let all the creativity just flow. Yeah. And it is worshipful to me. That is so cool. I see. I am. Um, I don't want to say I have very, I have very little creative genes <laughs> no. in me. I mean, there's, there's a little bit, but it, not very many. So I'm always fascinated with people who like paint and sing and play instruments and do all of those wonderful songwriting things. Cause that is just not the gift that God chose to give me. So I love that. No. <laughs> so tell me then with painting, you're this renowned oil painter, but the reality is you have other health struggles that you have faced. How do you face those with courage and faith in God in light of all the years you spent, you know, not having your memories and really fighting after or fighting that and then doing things in your own strength? You know, in 2019, I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis mm-hmm. and it was, um, it was a real blow because it affected my hands. That's where most of it, most of it has been is mm-hmm. in my hands. And, um, the pain is pretty rough some days. I literally, I have trouble holding onto the paintbrushes. So in 2020, we came up with an idea to put tennis balls on the ends of my paintbrushes. And that's how I hold on to my paintbrushes. It's gotten worse. My my Mm -hmm. arthritis has gotten worse. So my hands have gotten, they've closed up more. So we've had to take the tennis balls off and we've had to put racquetball rackets balls on there. So now I've got smaller balls, but because my hands are um, more, they've closed up more. Right. Yeah. But now we're using racquetball rackets balls. So it works. We've got the little tiny balls and I'm holding onto those now, which is, which works. And I'm thankful. But the thing for me, I trust God because of what scripture tells me. Mm. Romans 5, 17 tells me that God is at work always. He's always at work. And Romans 8, 28 says he works all things together for good. And because of those two verses, I know that he's always at work. 
and he's working all things together for my good. And because of those things, I know that he isn't finished. Yeah. I know that he isn't finished and I believe he's going to get me through this and he's going to finish me and make mm-hmm. me what he wants me to be. My perspective changed when I was in the studio. When mm-hmm. I'm painting, I see God differently. I see him as the master artist. Mm-hmm. When I look at my paintings, if, if you walked in my studio today, you would see a painting that I was working on this morning and it's not finished. And so right now it looks pretty chaotic and you'd say, oh, not looking very good. <laughs> I mean, you would, you would really say that because it doesn't look good because it's not finished. My paintings have multiple layers of paint, one layer after another layer after another layer. And every layer is necessary for the next layer to make the painting what it's going to be. Mm. It's needed. And if I think about it, that is how God is. Our lives are like the canvas and God is the master artist mm-hmm. and every layer matters. Nothing is wasted. And he uses them all to make us like Jesus. And so when I think about what I'm going through with my rheumatoid arthritis or what I went through with losing my memories or what people are going through out there, what I want to say is no matter where you are, whatever layer you're in, Mm -hmm. if it looks bad, it doesn't mean he's finished. There's another layer that's coming. And that layer is to make you more like Jesus. He's not finished. Mm. He's working it all to good, for the good to make you more like what he wants you to be in the end to make the canvas complete. Mm. What a beautiful picture. I mean, what a be- it's so true. Like that's a perfect picture of sanctification, right? Like God's right. unending work in us until the day of Christ Jesus. Yes. Yeah, that's incredible. So tell me this as you're you, you wrote the book blank canvas and it is your story. I love that, that we're kind of going into this right now because you've just talked about how your canvas was blank really, because you were empty of memories and God has just put one layer after another and he's still putting layers um, on your life, on my life, on every person who's listening on their lives. What made you want to write this book? What was your hope for it, for people who read it um, when they finished? I want people to have hope. Mm -hmm. If God can take a person that was as sick as I was and bring Mm -hmm. them back, a person that was as messed up on alcohol as I was and bring them back, a person that has rheumatoid arthritis and keep them going. If Mm -hmm. God can do all that, he is a God of the impossible. Yeah. He is a God who can, and I want people to see that and to know that God. Yeah. And if they can see that in that book on those pages, then yes, that's what that book is for. Yeah. It was worth it. It was worth it. Okay. Well, let's close with this. Um, You're still married to Dev. I am. You have three grown children. Do you have grandchildren? I've got four grandchildren with one on the way. As you look back on your life with Dev, with your children and just the redemption that has taken place, like you said, I mean, it could have all gone way differently uh, from the miracle in the hospital not happening to the, the miracle with the alcohol and all of that not happening, you know, not figuring out in painting that you, that you wanted to go back to it. So when you look back on that, how would you express the grace and tenderness of God in your life? You know, in the story of the prodigal son, Mm -hmm. when he's waiting and when he 
when the son comes back to him and he doesn't just stand there, he runs and he runs to him and he grabs him and he kisses him all over. Yeah. That's how I feel. Mm. I feel like he's grabbed me. He's kissed me all over and he's had a big party for me. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. He's had a big party. Well, Marcy, if people want to see your work, where is a great place to see some of your paintings? Obviously they can get blank canvas anywhere where books are sold, but what's a good place to follow and connect with you? They can go to my website, marcygregart.com. And on there, there'll be all my um, galleries are listed. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here today and for faithfully sharing your story. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been a delight. Don't forget to hit that share button in the app where you're currently listening. Also, you'll find Marcy's book, Blank Canvas, linked in the show notes. Purchasing from that link gives me a small commission at no cost to you and helps to keep Grace Enough in production. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough podcast. Tune in next time.